And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast. On a Thursday, might sound a little different to you as you're tuning in here on the podcast. Not quite as crisp for whatever reason. It turned everything on, same way. The guest logs in, and it didn't want to work today. So we're going this way. You can still hear us. You can still see us. And you're not going to want to miss this one because joining me today, number two, ranked teacher. How about that? In the new Golf Digest Top 50, he joins me from Como's living room. Chris Como, how you doing, buddy? It's like uh, when you got a guy on the range warming up and he starts like hitting it a little weird. And it's like, it's before round, it's not hitting it great. And you just got to make it work, right? Just got to try That's to put right. up a number. That's right, man. You got to put up a number. That's exactly right. You know, usually I draw it. Now I'm fading it. Don't fight it. Just go out and fade it. And that's what just, we're going to do today. Just gonna... go, go out with the bad audio. No big deal. <laughs> you know how you know how it works. You're in TV now. You're doing Golf Channel. I mean, you've been down this path. I remember those days literally sitting there on morning drive in the morning. And like there were certain things happening. And you're getting ready to go on live television. And the light's going to come on at 7 a.m. And I can see what's happening at 6.57 and the changes that are being made. And like, oh, my God, are we going to make it? Like, <laughs> stress level through the roof and they get and we're alive and like everyone it's like off you go you just make it work so yeah you know how it is man you got your show going on uh, it's, it's not that stressful right how like <laughs> bad tv is it really is it really that big of a deal no nah. <laughs> it really isn't in hindsight bad, bad round of golf like come on like really are you really that worried about it that's exactly right it's not that big of a, at the time it felt like everything it felt like the, the world stopped it felt like I had no blood in my face. It felt like there was no oxygen going through my lungs. <laughs> but you, you're doing TV. You got Golf Channel, Swing Expedition, Season 4. Uh, kicks off here soon, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're filming some episodes next week. Uh, awesome group of guys. Um, I'll wait, I won't say because you guys will see who it is. But, yeah, we're doing Season 4. I love doing this. Uh, I love the process of traveling around, um, you know, just connecting with all the great coaches that are out there. Not all of them, but, like – as many as we can do in a season, connecting with these awesome coaches, learning a little bit of their stuff, getting to kind of like bounce ideas off of them. Um, in general, for me, I, I get excited about promoting um, golf instruction just mm -hmm. at large. I just think it's a cool time to be in the game of golf. It's a cool time to try to get better at the game. Um, so anything that's in that direction of saying, hey, all these people out there who are playing golf, like go out and get a lesson. If I can help with that sort of uh, encouragement, I, I, I get excited about that. Yeah, it is a good time right now. Golf's in a good spot. We've got all these young American players starting to kind of take a hold. The Ryder Cup, I think, was a was a big moment uh, for them as they as they push forward. One of your players that you've been coaching, Bryson DeChambeau, we'll get to him later on and some of the things that are happening there. Um, but another guy that is coming back uh, that you know a thing or two about, Tiger Woods, down at Hero. Um, it's great to see a smile on his face. And he's out there hitting shots. Now, here's my take, Chris. You know him better than I do, obviously. You've worked with him. The last comeback, you helped him kind of put some pieces back in place, which you did a great job of that. Off he went. We know what's happened there now with this car crash in his leg. Now he comes back again. He's out there hitting balls. Tiger, to me, he's setting that expectation pretty low. He's like, man, I got a long ways to go. You know, he's in great spirit. I got a lot, you know, to get back to play with these guys. Yeah, we'll see. It's out there, but I've got a long ways to go. And then literally three hours later, he's out there ripping fairway woods off the deck. I'm like, 
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's punking us, isn't he? He's setting the bar low, and he's going to come back and over-deliver, isn't he? Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know what his, what, his, what his internal thinking is. I mean, look, at the end of the day, he's over, always over-delivered. <laughs> That's just kind of what he does, right? Like, he would, um, I mean, like I was having a conversation the other day. I was in Vegas for that Bryson versus Brooks thing. And, you know, you're in Vegas. People talk about gambling, all that. And, like, just the idea that Tiger, they had him as a favorite against the field at one point in his career, just like, that's just like astonishing. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he just, he, he somehow um, sort of shocks us all, which is, which is weird that you can do that over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, this, like the situation he's in right now, obviously um, from all accounts, it, it was just a really, really tough, tough injury. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. I get excited to watch him hit balls. I get excited just at the fact that we might see him play competitive golf, even just a little bit. Um, and if he, I think, I think he's just being honest. Like, I think he yeah. just does. I just think he doesn't know. I think he really doesn't know. Yeah. I think there's some uncertainty there. I'm sure. But it, it was, you know, he's had two swings now that we've seen um, on the video or out there in, in social media. And I'm sure he's, pretty much captured the entire player impact program just from those <laughs> videos. And so I'm going to put you on the spot. Did he, I it's mean, like the ultimate goat move. Just like, Oh, that, that whole thing yeah. that you guys are doing on social right. media in, in one little post. I'm yeah, he's like, he's like, watch this. Send. I'm, I'm the lots of field. I'm the, it's like, it's like, it's like US Open at Pebble beach all over again, except on, on social media. Right. So I got to ask it is, is he like, you got a text from him? Like Chris, how's this look? I mean, everything's kind of, in place. I mean, it looked pretty darn good. He, has he, has he sent you any video or? I, 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 he, he, he looks great. I'm, uh, um, and we're all, we're all absolutely rooting for him, but yeah. <laughs> so you're number, you're number two on the list, but no, but no, but no, but I'll, but no, no, he has not sent me anything. Okay. So, yeah. So you're number two on the list now, which is great. Congratulations. And, and so deserving Butch, uh, of course is number one has been worked with tiger. Have you, have you ever met Butch? Oh yeah. I, okay. I've, 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 Butch is like one of my favorite guys in the business. Um, I've actually gone out to Vegas and watched him teach a little bit. Um, okay. I did that a few, like, I don't know, a year ago or so. Um, but, uh, yeah, Butch is amazing. He's obviously, he's the per, 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 perennial, uh, number one ranked coach in golf. Um, he's got the best record with tour players that I think has ever existed. So Butch is the man. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And, uh, and he's still, he's still at it, right. He's still got a lot of players coming to him in Vegas and, and, you know, he's not out there traveling as much. Yeah. I mean, I think when, when you're as good at what you do as he is and he's still like, just got so much energy in him, like, why would you ever stop? I mean, he, he does it the way he wants to do it where it's like, Hey, yeah. you're going to come to me. Yeah. But I mean, like, like, I don't know why he would ever stop. Right. Unless he just can't do it anymore. Right. Well, let's get into um, let's get into some players here. There's a lot of things I want to talk about, and I want to start with a guy that you, I think, started working with about a year ago, Jason Day, about a year ago now, or not that long, probably, but yeah, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe, not, not not quite that long, not quite that long. Yeah, Jason, 12 time winner, of course, on the tour. Uh, his last win back in 2018. We've seen peak Jason. We know that you know his potential and his ceiling is he can be one of those top 10 players, right, on the PGA Tour. Um, the bad back has has certainly kind of slowed him down a little bit, right? He's always had the bad back. 
I've seen some of the videos you've posted and I think I DM'd you after one of them. And I was like, Hey, wait a minute. That right leg looks different to me. That right knee in the backswing is not the same that it used to be. That right knee is kind of straightening up a little bit, right leg kind of standing up a little bit more in the backswing. Fair to say Jason's taken on a little change of knee flex here um, under your guidance. Um, sure. Um, not something we've ever talked about. So yeah, absolutely. So this is where I would even argue that a lot of like, I think a lot of the knee flex stuff, like, you know, the actively straighten the right leg and stuff like that. It's like, look, I mean, so many great players over time have actually talked about the feeling of keeping flex in their right knee and their trail leg. But, but then you look at them on video and you look at them in pictures and it's clearly the flex is changing. Right. So they're not lying about their feel. No. Um, and the video is not lying. So how do you sort of reconcile those two worlds? Um, so yes, do I want to, to see him change some of that knee flex? I mean, at the end of the day, what I want is some more motion. I'd like to see more motion in his pelvis. So less of the motions coming from his lower back does some change in the knee flex, um, help that absolutely can. Do I want him to be actively trying to strain his right leg? Not something that like we have, um, up to this point ever talked about. And, 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 and I would say not something I typically acute. I usually try to like bring on a player. I mean, anything's on the table. I mean, maybe yeah. I feel like it's appropriate, but there's ways to get that, that trail leg to do, um, things. And, and in turn, really the end game that you're trying to go for, in my opinion, is more of like the pelvis motion, what the hips are doing. Um, there's ways to do that. I think without necessarily um, directly saying, Hey, do it in the leg. And in fact, I would argue that like, um, from a muscular perspective, I think oftentimes it's better to get the, the, the knee to, to change its flex, not by actually trying to change the knee flex. So where does that, so where's that movement come from with the pelvis as you've worked on? I mean, like the motion's coming in the hips. And I mean, there's a difference between like the right leg trying to straighten and having it get pulled into a straighter spot. So like there, this is where there's, you know, when we're looking at video, or pictures, we're, we're just looking at like the motion, but we're not really getting any insights, like the muscles that are driving the motion. Um, and then when you have a player talk about like, I feel this, or I'm resisting this or whatever it is, I think that is a little bit of a, of a potential insight to what the muscles are doing because they're describing their field. They're not describing what the video is showing them. They're describing their experience of it inside their body. So to me, again, it's trying to reconcile those two worlds. So for Jason, that, that pelvis is, is the right side of the pelvis is getting a little taller, a little higher than the left side um, in, in the way that he's turning the right hip, right side of the pelvis getting higher versus the pelvis staying more level per se as he turns the upper. Yeah. I mean, you know, the overall orientation of it is got more pitch to it, but then, you know, he works, he's got like a great trainer in Kevin Duffy. He's got another guy who works with um, Tawn and Scottsdale. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to get too into like all the details because it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's his body and all that. But like there's an element of him. He's not actually trying to get that right hip higher again, per se. That's happening more from like the overall orientation that that things are set on and then just kind of working around his body in a way that that hopefully is going to be healthy for him. Right. His back's been feeling great lately. So but backs are tricky, man. I mean. There, there's no sort of like this perfectly clear defined path that you go down. If you have a bad back, there's this, you know, understand sort of the injury as best as you can or, or where things get irritated as best as you can. Um, 
try to get a sense of the person, have the home team involved, like the trainer, you know, get images if they have any, uh, whoever's on the team. And then you come together and you come up with, you know, what you feel like is a, 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 a best potential path for the person. But then as you get more and more information, you're constantly making updates. Um, you know, again, this is one of those things where there's not this, like, this is the way to do it. It's, it's trying to gather as much information as possible. And then as a team, we're all kind of like, we're going with it as we get yeah. more information we're we're, 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 hopefully keeping refining our approach. So, and, and there's a little bit of pacing to it. Like, you know, you mentioned we've been working for, you know, almost a year, but like the, the front end of it was much more like an information gathering sort of process because yeah. it's like, there is such a tricky situation. Anytime someone's got an injury that's chronic, that's happening over and over again, as well as played at the highest level doing something. So it's like, I mean, yeah. the work he did with Colin, and, and, and this is where people want to blame like his old swing. It's like, it's not that clear, right? He, he his body is somewhat yeah. susceptible to this. So, and in the work he did with Colin, he got the number one in the world. So it's like, I mean, they got to the pinnacle of golf. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's paying so much respect to the work they've done, what they did to get to the level of a performance that he got to. And then where he's at right now saying, okay, you know, going forward, he's saying, I want to add, you know, an extra 15 years to my career how do we think through this in a way to, to hopefully give it the best shot? So, I mean, it, again, it's, it's, um, you know, the first part was very much like trying to get as much information and, and like lately we've been kind of being a little bit more really getting into it. So let's talk about, let's talk about the, the pelvis and the knees for a second, just in general, uh, George and I, again, cause we were talking a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and we kind of got into this, this conversation of, you know, when I was young and, and we're close to the same age. He's a couple of years older than me, but it was, you know, you turn your upper and, and the lower was kind of more quote unquote resist, right? Like your, your hips can turn some 45 or 40 degrees, but you know, the upper is the primary aspect that's turning. And, you know, I, I don't think Chris, my, I don't think I really moved my pelvis and lengthened my right leg a little bit, probably until, I was five, six years into teaching, you know, so I I go back to my whole career of playing and, you know, like my pelvis and my hips would sit very level. I would turn the upper and, you know, my hips were very level. Um, When you, when you look at kind of how that was taught then, right. Cause I think that was, it's fair to say that that was a pretty strong narrative for many, many years, right. Um, Turn the upper, not the lower, lower resist, right knee kind of maintains its flexion. And now I think, you know, we've, I think we've transitioned nicely back to the way that a lot of the old classical swings were, right? There was kind of this more rotational freedom and you would see the hips turn more with the shoulders and swings looked, it looked just freer, right? The the resistance aspect was less of a narrative. So as you, as you go down this path with players and you have someone who has a lower body that really hasn't turned and has been very stable and they're turning the upper against it. And then you get in there and you start moving that pelvis differently and you start changing some knee flex and what that means to the spine and the length of the swing. Where does that talk to my guests here, my, my, uh, my listeners here about what does that kind of open up for a player on the downswing like a Jason, when he starts moving his pelvis in the pitch of that differently and the lengthening of the right leg and the change in deflex, where does that start to take the player and what opens up to them on the downswing versus maybe 
what wasn't open to them when they were, say, just very stagnant with the lower body? Yeah, I mean, okay, so there's it's sort of a lot in there. So, so I mean, uh, you know, one thing, I mean, I, I feel like, like five years ago, what was your handicap? My handicap? Yeah. Five years ago. Um, I mean, I, I'm probably about the same. I, I play close to a scratch. Okay, so so that's kind of my, my point, right? So, like, 99% of the people, like, that, oh, well, I don't know, like, I mean, even me, like, 99% of the people I teach aren't scratched, right? So, like, they would all die to be able to have your restricted turn swing you had five years ago because <laughs> yeah. it'd be better than where they're at now. So, sure. this is where I feel like you, we get these trends in instruction. And, look, at the end of the day, there's been some really good players. Like, this whole narrative that you speak of, right, like it was around for a long time. There's still a lot of really good players that existed then that sure. tried to resist their legs. So like in the big picture thing is like, and they hit it pretty darn far. Yeah. And the big picture thing is like, how important is it? Right. So to me, I, pr- I very much work from more of like a release pattern perspective backwards. And then whether you want to have more resistance or not, like, you know, you can pick, there's tons of players you can pick that have resisted lower bodies who've won majors yep. <laughs> more yep. or less. Right. No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that to give some perspective on how that pattern would work coming down. I mean, it, every version of it. So it's like, I mean, I think that the, the sort of the current kind of trend is like, you make a big turn, you kind of like how don't have as much lateral motion or whatever, but it's like, you can have lateral motion with a big turn. You can have not a lateral motion. I mean, you can, it, it, to me, it's like golf swings are these puzzles that you can sort of match up. And it's like, what is the person's goals? And again, I feel like if you're going to make big improvements in your game, it's more of like understanding release patterns, how to sort of like effectuate that change. And then you build the body motion around that. If, if they have an injury that you're trying to work around, then you make the body work around that. If they maybe you think they need a little more distance and you think that they're going to get more distance by making a bigger backswing. And you think the best way to make a bigger backswing is through more pelvis turn. Then you do that. But in terms of like what defines sort of like different skill levels, I feel like that's found more in like the nuance of release patterns. And then the body motion is just, it's just one of those things that you're always kind of like tweaking and moving around to help facilitate that as well as, you know, given the considerations of like them as a person, their injuries, all that sort of stuff will dictate some of where you're going to go with that direction. You know, one of the things that gets so demonized these days is lateral motion. I mean, how many guys like had amazing, like George Newton, like Hogan, there's tons of guys who have plenty of lateral motion on the way down. Unbelievable ball strikers. But now there's this whole theme of just like, you know, stay really centered on the way down, stay on your right side. And it's like, Yeah, sure, you can, but you also don't have to to play unbelievable golf. So I'm just, I'm personally just a a big advocate for, again, if there's a trend, and I would say the same thing if you were to throw me in the middle of when restricted turns was like really popular, I'd be like, why do you have to restrict? These guys all make big turns. So to me, it's just like anytime there's a trend, but you have observation of people out there who aren't doing the trend, who are still performing really well, it's like, you know, slap yourself in the face and be like, okay, what's going on here? And don't get so stuck into like, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, whatever, this sort of trend trend of the week type of thing. No, I think it's fair. No, I think, I I think it's a fair point. So, so explain to us in your terms, a a release pattern. You keep saying that. Well, (laughs) that's like a, so at the end of the day, it's like, let's just say, 
you know, at the bottom, there's this space where people can more or less make impact happen. You know, what is the club doing and what is their risks and, and their forums and all that doing to make the club move through space um, in a way that you could say somewhat predicts like the overall shot distribution is there's things like in their body that are maybe creating governors of such where certain shots or certain misses are almost taken out of play. Cause it'll, you know, at the end of the day, it's like once you have that prerequisite of enough speed and your good shots are good enough, which really anybody who's got enough speed that, that kind of, you know, that that's, that's there. Like you can get a 10 handicap who's got 150 mile hour club at speed and they're going to hit a drive that looks like a tour player. So, so once that sort of prerequisite in places where your good shots are good enough, it becomes much more about what's contributing towards the misses a person has. Um, and, 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 you know, those misses is, is it's, it's both how often are they happening and then how big are they? Right. So the, mm-hmm. you could say the errors measured both, both in the frequency and the magnitude of it. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's trying to construct, um, you know, a swing, which I think, again, the release pattern side of it's a big part of it that hopefully doesn't miss it too often, but you know, their misses at the worst are never like that big. And, and that at the end of the day is what's going to lead to, to ball striking. That's going to be, you know, effective towards scoring. So. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed a lot of the trend was, you know, like you were saying the the lateral motion has become something that is bad, right. On, you know, they, wait a minute, like you have to have some lateral. I posted this video of Victor Hovland and, um, and I know Victor a little bit um, when he turned onto the scene as a pro and he's a, he's a great guy. And obviously just a premier driver of the ball. Um, like I've never, like he's a must watch dude to hit the driver, how straight he hits it. He's like a longer version of Fred Funk, you know? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just silly how straight he hits it. Um, so I posted this video, right. Of, of Victor and just said, you know, couldn't be happy for the guys. Five wins now, 50 starts, da, 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 da. And it, it, it got taken and reposted and this and that. And, and, and one, and there was a couple of teachers just talking about like, basically if you tried to copy Victor Hovland's swing, you, you probably would miss the ball. Like there's that, that's not a swing to be looking at and this and that. And it's just like, oh like, stop, you know I mean? I can't, I can't, I can't read this anymore, but anyway, it was, it was really interesting. And like the word of Victor has to compensate through impact because of how lateral he is, you know, and that was the word that was used. And you look at Victor and I, I not to get into the weeds of breaking Victor Hobbins swing, because clearly he's, you know, he's, he's a world-class ball striker. And when you look at him, like, okay, yeah, there's a little kind of like this little move, like up and off the ball, like just kind of up and, you know, maybe just Chris, like his head moves that far, you know, lateral. It's like, whoa, stop the boat. He's not centered. You know, I mean, you, you, you go through this process, you, you hear it and it's like ever so gently off it. And then he's kind of back into it. You know, he's kind of back into the left side on top of it. And then, you know, forward, it's like, can you look at that? I can see where there's like this little subtle side to side lateral. And yet that is do not do that. Right. Like how, how do we get to this point of, I understand there's, there's variation there and you look at Victor and it's like, man, what's, what's wrong with a little, just a little up and 
off the ball and then kind of recenters and hits it and you know controls the path and face. Why not Tiger? Chris, when he was young, I mean, little move to the right, just ever so gently, right? Just kind of into the right, off of it, back on top. Into the world? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 I have no idea. I mean, to me, anytime you hear people, like if I hear people sort of say compensation yeah. or timing, it's just like, oh, geez. Like, like it's, it's just a way to say, you're basically saying, I have a bias. He doesn't fit it. So I'm going to talk it away with words like compensation and timing, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. But flip the argument. It's like, okay, whoever, pick a swing you like, okay? And I could sit there and be like, well, I don't like this. And he's just compensating. It's just, at the end of the day, look, his swing works. Victor's swing works. DJ's swing works. Jim Furyk works. Someone who maybe does, like, say, like, uh, uh, Justin Rose or, like, there's plenty of guys who you know, have more cup in their left wrist or extension of the left wrist whose swings work. If a swing works, like try to figure out why it works. Yeah. Um, and then that's an opportunity to learn. And then through that learning process, you have an opportunity to be more flexible in your coaching when you have a person in front of you who may not fit your sort of like particular uh, aesthetic preference or bias. And instead of talking away as like, Hey, you know, these are compensations. Like, like to me, that type of language, it, it's, it's loaded. It's like, no, it works. Try to under, under, understand why it works. Yeah. So to me, Victor Swing, it's freaking awesome. Um, you know, I think he, in a lot of ways, his release pattern fits what a lot of people, like other groups of people really like. And that's awesome. But then take a guy like Louis Ushazen. He's not like, he doesn't have the faces shut. He looks like he releases the daylights out of the club still an awesome ball striker. Right. So it's like, you have to have that same intellectual honesty. It's like, you have Victor, you may like his swing, but you also got to appreciate a person like Louie or whoever who doesn't fit, you know, a release pattern that maybe you're particularly advocating for. So to me, again, it's like, look, the swing works across the board. Don't talk away these things that they may be doing because it doesn't fit your current model. But like, look at it and try to understand it and try to figure out why does this thing work? Because that to me is the opportunity to become a better teacher. Yeah. And I think that's what impresses me the most about Butch is that over the years, his portfolio of players, and I'll just bring up a few, like he taught DJ for many, many years. DJ swing versus Jimmy Walker swing are very different. Very Very different. And Gary Woodland, when he was with him, like, these are really different types of swings. I mean, DJ, of course, is bowed and, you know, he's flying open. And then Jimmy Walker, you know, has got the face a little bit more open and kind of, you know, pulling down on it a little bit. And then Woodland kind of loads it coming down. I mean, like, a lot of stuff going on here, right, in the all these different players. And yet, Butch is, you know, not changing the DNA and getting the most out of them. And that, that's, that's wonderful coaching. And then, you know, there's a lot of, I think, really good intellectual coaches that are on these lists and that yeah, it's okay to have a bias and a pattern. It's okay to, that's where you kind of want to hang your hat. And I think there's times where you would be a good fit for certain players. I think like, for example, Hank was probably a decent fit for Tiger at the time in what kind of Hank taught and trying to put a little more loft on the face for Tiger through the knee surgery and obviously did a great job coaching him and they had a lot of success. Uh, would that be great for someone who's too much that way and like a Jordan Spieth? I'm not sure. You know, like when where he gets it right now. I, I think there's coaches for certain players at certain times 
in what they believe, because there's a lot of coaches, when you look at their portfolio of players, they all look the same. They all look the same. You know, the face is, the face is you know, square, left wrist flex, shafts pitch kind of a little vertical going back, they shallow it out, they rotate, handle returns low and exiting left, and, you know, minimal face, faces looking back, you know, like that pretty looking, and Hovland kind of fits that mold to some degree. So I have a lot of respect for Butch in, in these different patterns. I want to ask you about a particular component in the pattern, this, this flexion, right, in the lead wrist. And like Victor's a good example of that. Um, you look at you look at like a Vic or a DJ, right? Who's let's just call it flex this way. And then you look at it, and then you look at him coming down. Of course, it's taken on more, and the shaft kind of pitches back. The face is looking back towards the camera a little bit, and the shaft's shallowing, and the face is prepared, right? Like they're in a position where they can really rotate and hit it with some shaftling. You take that. And then you and then you look at a player like a Phil Mickelson, right? You look at a player like a like a Jimmy Walker who have more extension in the wrist, kind of carry that down longer, right? Like a Jason Day. Jason Day, as I'm kind of thinking in my head, has maybe a little bit more of that. The shaft's not as pitched back. The shaft's kind of in between the forearms, Chris, coming down, right? I want to phrase this question to you this way. When you're when you're working with a player who like a Jason or like a Jimmy or a, a Phil who's carrying that down, right? What are some of the matchups to that? Like we, you know, the word matchups we hear a lot, like they're carrying that extension down. The face is not square. Like there has to be some face rotation there. What are some things that are going to match up to that through the impact zone that might be different than say Victor and DJ who are more flex and the shaft is more pitched back, and the face is more closed. Like, talk about the difference between those two, because they're very different, at least in my eyes and in my understanding, and talking about the difference in those two shaft pitch, wrist angles, face angles. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, in general, one, you typically don't see, like, guys rotate as much. Um when they kind of have like more of the release pattern you're talking to, like they're not as open at impact mm -hmm. oftentimes. Um, you know, like there's always like, you know, what are they doing at, at, at the bottom with the wrist to like square mm -hmm. the club up. So like stuff like that's halfway down can kind of be misleading. The face can look more open and then down at the bottom, they could add like more flexion very last minute and go from like radial to owner very rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, like just the way the wrist angles could just like come more down and out very rapidly that match it up. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's especially when you talk because, like, there's there's the 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 golfer who's not necessarily like top top player who is trying to get better, and you're trying to funnel them into a pattern and saying how do you sort of match that up without really a precedent of them playing like world class golf. So you're not really kind of like, you don't have any sort of reference for them. You're kind of like the reference is just like other ball strikers. Yeah. Um, a guy like Jason, like he's been a really good ball striker at some point. So, you know, to understand kind of what he would do, what the club looked like and what his wrist singles looked like when he was driving at his best or playing his best, there's already that precedent out there. So for him, it's more of like, look, you know, and, and then also to look at swings when he wasn't playing necessarily great, just kind of when he gets into a little bit of funk. So understanding those sort of trends for him, mm. then it becomes saying, hey, look, you have this precedent of both good and bad. You're trying to stay away from the bad. But 
you know, with different constraints, constraint or different sort of like body motion, body motion that that's going to feel better to your body. So, you know, for him, it's, it's more of like his matchup is just sort of like what he already did. Right. Which is kind of what you described. It's sort of yeah. like a little bit on the steeper side and never gets like, you know, it, it um, you know, he, he also, hit a draw when he's playing his best. Um, and sort of sometimes it's also fitting kind of like, what is the shot shape that just fits their eye? Like you can, yeah. you can, you can sort of say, Hey, look, this is how we want things to look. But if it doesn't have a ball flight that like he's going to feel comfortable playing with, as soon as he gets in tournament conditions, it all goes out the window. So now yeah. you're like starting over from scratch. Um, so do they, tend to, do they tend to take on more side bend to the right through impact? The guys that carry the extension down longer, and then, as you said, they kind of go to that owner quickly where the handle will stand up a little bit, right? The handle will kind of be a little higher mm -hmm. and then they'll take on a little more side into the right. I would assume, especially if they're trying to draw it like Jason. Yeah. I mean, would Jason like try to draw it? Um, for sure. Like that was his pattern, right? It was, it was fairly restricted. Like you said, in the lower body, it was steep in transition. And then he would kind of side bend to the right to try to get the club more from the inside and then have it have his overall release pattern. Um, you know, I think... Yeah, you'll see that. You'll see guys just sort of stand up out of it oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's oftentimes a way for their body to kind of maybe not open up as much and, right. and in a sense, slow down to help accommodate some of that, that club releasing a bunch. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're more square with your upper body, like something's kind of got to go up to make room for everything. So instead of, you know, you're opening up and your left shoulder working around, it's more of like everything starts to come up a little bit, mm -hmm. but you know, you can do things like you still have some motion in your left, the scapula, so you can add some shrug. There's ways to kind of maybe circumvent some of that air quotes, early extension. But again, even early extension is something that's been so demonized. I mean, Payne Stewart, Jack Nicholas, I mean, there's lots of guys who had air quotes early extension that were like world-class ball strikers. Yeah. So, so in above itself is not something I think that should be kind of like avoided at all costs, which I think right. is a little bit of a trend right now, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and even like to, to say that like guys who, who have that flexion or more open at impact don't have a ton of owner deviation. A lot of them do. Like if you look at a lot of guys, they'll have like their, their right arm might be more flexed. The guys who are more open, but their wrists are still very down through the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, you're always getting a low handle type of version of that. <laughs> um, now, now you, you may be getting a lower handle because your body's not standing up, but relative to what your wrists are doing and how that puts the, the relationship of the shaft to your lead arm and, you know, what that does from like a scoring mechanism, um, it's not really a low handle version of that. So, uh, I don't, I mean, it's just, a, <laughs> oh, that's an interesting point. No, that's, that's a, that's a, I would put Brooks in that category, mm -hmm. right? Like Brooks is, you know, he's coming down and, and he's not flying open. Yeah. Brooks isn't flying open, like say a Victor. Yeah. Or a DJ. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think I saw what is Brooks like 10 degrees open with his upper at impact. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's, it's minimal. Yeah. And he's probably taken that on a little higher and kind of down the line release a bit. Yeah. Um, where, you know, Victor's kind of bringing it and opening and, and, throwing the frisbee kind of around the corner, you know, yeah. back around over here. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, it doesn't mean that when you go there and it's there that you're just going to rotate and the handle is going to be low. Chris, I don't think I've, I'm not sure I've ever, I've ever hit a shot and not early extend. Mm. And you're a scratch golfer, right? So it's yeah. like, you know, again, like any seven handicap would love to hit it like you. <laughs> Yet, yet, you know, yet sometimes the pathway that people feel 
you know, somewhat married to is to get that seven handicappers to not early extend. And it's like, okay, well, if Travis is a scratch golfer and does early extend, is that really the path of least resistance for that person? It may be, but it also may not be. And that, and that's just kind of the point that I'm, I'm more or less trying to make. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. I got to, we got to transition here for a second, okay? Because I want to, I got to ask you about the man, Bryson Deschambeau, the most captivating golfer um, in the game today. And there's so many things. I talk about Bryson a lot uh, on the podcast. And, you know, I, I don't know how you cannot enjoy watching him play. <laughs> I mean, like, if you love golf, there's no way you can't not love watching Bryson play golf because he does things that no one can do. Right. I mean, he's hitting a driver that is just crazy to watch. So just give us just a little insight of what you can here. It's the off season, right? What does he got? Like three weeks off, you know, or two weeks. I'm sure Bryce is playing some. So it's the off season. So just give us a little insight to as his coach or one of his coaches that you guys are going to kind of maybe go to work on. That's kind of a goal for Bryson heading into 2022 to even elevate the game even more, right? To, I would, I would assume Bryson would like to get to the number one player in the world and win more major championships. So what's the goal from a game plan standpoint to, to get that to happen perhaps next year? You know, just pretty much like at any cost to, to try to hit more fairways this year. Okay. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Um, um, I, I never know when you're joking. I, I, <laughs> I was going to call BS right away, but I was just going to let you finish it up. <laughs> so, so, so he, he, he is, I mean, look, the guy's always just trying to get better. It's insane. Like he's just works as hard as anybody I've ever been around at the game and, and just constantly trying to like, like rethink things and sort of elevate what he feels like is possible. He feels like he can still hit it farther. And look, he is trying to hit fairways. I mean, I, I say that jokingly and then joking about me, like me joking in a weird way. Like, like we are definitely right now we're working tomorrow and it, we're definitely working on trying to tighten things up, but not at any cost possible. Like at the end of the day, it's like, you know, just trying to optimize for just for hitting fairways is not the goal. The goal is to optimize for, for strokes gain, right? Strokes gain off the tee really. Right. And, and that, that can be a little bit different depending on the conditions and the course and all that. But, but in general, you're just trying to freaking, like you said, become the number one player in the world. So, so, um, you know, he spent a lot of this off season just trying to keep getting more and more speed. Um, but more than just like having his top speed be higher, but having his, his sort of like in competition speed be higher and, and be more consistent with it, being able to, to, you know, cause he can get like, if he's hitting balls for a little bit, he can get it really fast. I think they clocked him at like two nineteen ball speed. Um, at the world long drive championship. So he's gone up to some like just crazy numbers, Yeah. but then, you know, in competition, uh, it obviously drops down quite a bit. So it's, it's more about getting that, you know, I'm just going to use this language of like functional speed, higher speed that really translates to PGA tournaments, get that speed higher. Um, so that's been a big focus. You know, he played it here this week. Um, tomorrow we're definitely going to be working on some stuff, try to get things a little bit tighter because he's had such a stretch, of focusing on just like hitting it farther, really, Um, you know, his short irons have got to get better. Um, You know, as he's, as he's gone longer, the frequency of short irons he hits is just going up and up and up. So it's actually, 
just saying, Hey, look, from that perspective, you're having more opportunities. So it's now's the time to kind of really allocate, um, energy and focus to that. Um, what's the focus there? Like on his, let's say approach wedge game, because statistically that's obviously a, a opportunity for him, right. Mm-hmm. To, to improve his proximity with his approach wedge. Is it, let me just throw this out at you. Is it, does he neglect that part of his game with the much, as much time as he puts on being a dominant driver of the ball and one of the best putters in the world. I see Bryson at least video wise putting a lot. Is it a game area that's just being neglected and he just needs to spend more time on from an approach wedge sport, or is it, or is it like, no, we need to actually clean up a little technique to control the launch, the launch angle and the distance and kind of dial that in a little bit more. What's going on there? Well, I mean, you know, I I wouldn't say neglect. I, I would say that, in a very unbiased way, he examines his game and says, what's the best way for me to allocate time and energy to be as, as good as I can be at this given point. And, and he's felt that the distance side of it is, is the proper way to allocate time. And I think, you know, you can debate it, but it would be hard to argue more or less the results he's had. So, yeah. so, um, you know, I think as he gets closer and closer to, as he starts getting closer to that ceiling, I think in, intuitively, it starts to become, you know, a little bit of like getting water from a turnip type of scenario. So, and he, he can sense that and, and, and your focus starts to shift. So, um, I just, I just, I, you know, maybe it's semantics, but I, I think neglect, you know, it's, it's not so much a matter, matter of neglect. It's just, it's just very strategic. You only have so many hours in, uh, right. in the day. So, so there's a lot of strategy in terms of how you, how you partition that off. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, my estimation is starting to get a place where it's starting to get to a place where uh, some of that, that short arm play um, is where there's the opportunity to make the biggest gains. Yeah. Do you think of, if, let me ask you this. And then, then, and then you also ask like, what, what do you go about doing that? Is it, is it, um, is it sort of just allocating time towards it or is it technique? Um, it's probably a little bit of both, but then it's also the technique side of it is, is how does it fit into the, the bigger sort of like, sort of ecosystem of how he plays. Right. So you, you can't, if you're to optimize just purely for your short irons and, and even from a technique perspective, you might take away from, you know, how he drives the ball. So like you wouldn't really want that either. So it's, 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 it's technique, you know, within that sort of context of how does it fit, fit everything else. And Bryson likes to see the ball work right to left, right. Predominantly. Yeah. 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 And it looks like his approach wedges, like he's kind of the same thing. Like it's, it looks like a little bit of a, kind of a draw bias kind of lower trajectory type of shot. Yeah. 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 That's right. You think if, if Bryson, if you said to Bryson, all right, I want three hours a day approach wedge play. Do you think if he just put his mind, I mean, you know, I mean, Bryson puts his mind in anything, he's going to probably end up dominating and rewriting it. Right. So it's like, if you just said, look, three hours a day approach wedge, I want 80, I want 100, I want 120, I want 140. I mean, for him, shit, like 175, right, with his speed. So, but I want approach wedge play dialed in practice using your launch monitor out on the course. Like, didn't change a technique, just strictly dig it out, go get it. Like, his his approach wedge play would go through the roof, right? Like, he would it would just get better just from time and energy towards it, which then maybe – he would sacrifice a little bit of, okay, I can't hit my driver as much. 
And I'm sure there's some maintenance there to maintain the speeds that he wants to maintain. But it's interesting to hear you say that he feels like he's getting to that optimum and now could perhaps change his focus to be more dynamic in the approach wedge play, which would make him damn near unbeatable. Like, let's face it, right? I mean, if he became Zach Johnson with a wedge, you know, I mean, he would be, it'd be ridiculous at that point, hitting it 350 off the tee and your proximity with the wedge is that close and you're a great putter. This is sound like Tiger all over again. <laughs> you know, it wasn't even fair. Tiger was the best iron player and was hitting it long and straight. You know, it's like, this isn't even fair at this point. And he's the best putter. It's like, okay, I'm out. So, I mean, like, like, I mean, honestly, Chris, like, not to get too excited here, but like, if he did become top, let's say approach wedge, I'll say, you know, let's put him in the top 40. Like, you're talking, you're talking domination at that point, aren't you? Um, yeah, I mean, if nothing else changed, I mean, I think that's the big caveat though. It's like, you know, you start to move around your, your time allocation of things. Um, typically like the other parts of your game don't just sort of like stick perfectly, but, but yeah, I mean, if, 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 I mean, I mean, he's the best driver on tour. So yeah, like top 20 in putting. Yeah. So it's like, if all, if if those things were to stay the same and then you become the best iron player, yeah. I mean, you're the best player in the world. Like (laughs) just be like lapping people with the wedge. Sure. But, but I mean, it's a big if too. Right. So it's like, again, to start to see, you start to move things around yada yada like in terms of that time allocation like there's no guarantee that those things are going to stick where they're at so on the other side yeah i mean look at the end of the day this is the one things i like it's 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 even for myself as a coach it's so easy to be like you should do this you should do that Like, like a guy like bryson he's got just an incredible sense of the game and his game and, and, and how to like kind of allocate time and sort of the timing of things going into tournaments. Um, and something Tiger did remarkably well as well. It's like, you could, you could almost see this like internal clock mm. start to kind of go off. It's like, you know, he'd be a certain way with his sort of preparation, his practice. And at some point, you know, before the masters, let's say it's like things start to switch. And then, and then it had its own sort of grain, its own ramping up of sorts. And they just got this wild sense of it. And, and I think it would be pretty arrogant for me to be like, well, you know, that's wrong. It's like, well, the guy's like one of the best players in the world and making, you know, a very, very nice living what doing what he's doing. I feel like I'm a, I, 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 I'm always very like intellectually honest and like, well, I, I should say this. I'm always very, I say what I say, what I'm thinking, right. I don't, I don't bite my tongue. I, I I'll push back, um, on ideas um, I'll be like, I think this, I think that even if it's different than what he's doing. Um, but at the end of the day, I have a lot of respect for his intuition. Yeah. How, how often do you think about not just Bryson, but, or Jason, but just over the years, how often do you think ahead of time before you say something to a player? Um, I mean, I'm always thinking about it, but I'm also, again, I'm not trying to like be overly sort of careful either yeah yeah. it's like you want to be thoughtful but like with these guys like they 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 want a very sort of honest like person their corner who can give them a a position from a thoughtful perspective 
but yeah. I'm definitely not trying to be like over censoring of kind of things. Right. And I, and I think that's one of the things as a coach, I tried to, to, to sort of like create this really safe space also sort of for both of us, which is like, look, you know, we're going to figure this out together. And this is yeah. like, if you're, if you're, air quotes success is a hundred percent, then, then you're not taking on enough risk. Like there should be an element of like, this didn't work because that element of these things that don't work are actually, uh, you know, I would say evidence towards an overall strategy that's taken on the right amount of risk to yield the results you want to, you want to have. So, you know, this is where these things is like, look, I'm not going to say things. I'm going to say things that you're gonna be like, that was dumb. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to do things that I'm going to be like, that was dumb. Yeah. That's actually part of a good strategy. If, if I never said things that were dumb because like I was always so like careful with what I said, I'm being too conservative. If you don't make mistakes and, and, and maybe pick bad lines here and there or whatever, as a golfer, you're being too conservative with your overall approach. Hmm. So it's trying to find that, that, that space both from the coaching side of it and the playing side of it where you know the, the right amount of air quotes failure is actually part of the overall strategy that we think is going to yield the, the results we're looking for. I think that's really good advice. Like just not just in like golf, but in business. Like, I think that's really good advice in that there has to be a certain level of risk. Like you can't be afraid to fail. And I think you can't be afraid to be told no. Right. Yeah. 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 And and it, yeah. I mean, for sure. I, I mean, and I would say like, whatever the emotional, like be afraid to fail, but just make sure you're, if you're not failing, <laughs> then you're probably not doing it, doing it exactly as, as well as you could. So, so right. there's, there's going to be some failure involved. That's right. Yeah. Sure. It's literally like, if you're not failing, you're, you're not being, if you're not failing a certain percentage of the time, whatever that percentage is, is probably like unique to every situation. It can go through its own analysis and it's not always like perfectly clear, but like, if you're not failing air quotes enough, which whatever that is again, then then you're, you're just, your, your approach is not. That's optimal. right. Yeah. I love that. I, 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 I love that. I think that's great advice for, you know, there's a lot of teachers that listen to this and, um, you know, it's not just, it's not just the player. It's not, we're not talking, this doesn't just have to apply to a player. This talks to everybody in business and, you know, pushing yourself and, and not being afraid to fail. There's going to be failure. I failed. You failed. And I, and since I've become, when I left Golf Channel back in 20, I don't know, 17, maybe 18 and started my own company, became an entrepreneur. Like the more I've put things together and kind of pushed out and gotten aggressive, it, it, it feels like I look back and when I tell you teachers, like I've been, the more I've been told, no, it feels like the more I have succeeded. And like other doors have opened up and I've found my path in other ways, right? Because I've taken on a certain level of risk with my business to push through the things that I want to do and be successful at. So there's, and then you kind of sit back and you think about the person who's just comfy in what they're doing. And that's fine too. I mean, there's happiness in, in all phases and all sizes. Um, but you know, you just, it's kind of the same thing and, you do your thing and it's kind of pretty straightforward, right? It's pretty vanilla. It's pretty straightforward and there's not a lot of risk taking going on. So it's hard to really push yourself and see how far you can go without that some layer of risk. So I think it's really good advice. And um, I think it sums up Bryson in so many ways perfectly, doesn't it? Like it's like Bryson takes on risk. Like, like 
I, I just think I just think about Chris, what he's done and what you guys have done in the way that he transformed his swing and went after distance and came out on the other end as a great player. Like, like that's a lot of risk. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's not, there's, there's not a handful of guys that would do that. You agree? There's not a handful of guys that would do that. What he did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, I mean, we tried to be very thoughtful with it and we kind of, we, 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 we measure things along the way, you know, yeah. use the analogy of leaving breadcrumbs in the forest in case things did get a little off, but here's the thing. This is a great example. So in that process of it, mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that we tried to do that didn't work that, you know, air quotes failed. There's a lot of windows where you kind of didn't hit it necessarily great or didn't actually increase his club head speed. So we were to take the whole bundle of things that he, he has done to gain like this speed or this like, you know, uptick in his overall driving within that there was a lot of things that were, you could define as like not working as failures, but the overall outcome, the overall sort of like expected value, if you will, of this sort of experiment of this process, you know, I almost hate using the word experiment, but of this process has been a net positive. So I think that's a, it's a good example of, of how, you know, within it, there's a lot of, you know, somewhat volatility and there's a lot of like whatever, but the overall trend got him to a place where he's much, a much better driver of the golf ball now than he was, you know, two years ago. All right. Last question. Um, no, two things. One is tell Bryson he's got to come on. He knows who I am. He follows me. I think he likes me. I'm not sure. Anyway. Um, uh, second is, would it make sense just to put one wedge that's shorter in his bag? I'm not touching that one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what makes sense. I mean, look, like, I mean, uh, you know, he's got his set configuration and it's like it. You know, Mike Shy said this one time. I thought this made sense. He's like, you can just choke up on it. Yeah. You can yeah. just choke up That's on true. it. That's true. It's a six iron length, though. You can choke up on it. Okay. So I'm, I'm <laughs> going with at the end of the day, it's like, look, he's got it, he's got his thing. We should be able to get this this better um with things the yeah. way they are, they are. So well, I can assure you with, when with he the clubs, up, with the clubs. When he tees it up in Tournament of Champions, which I assume we'll play in, we'll be we'll be watching, and I can't wait to watch him hit some drives on that golf course. Oh yeah, I'll be fun. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, it, on the drive on eighteen is going to be. Can he even hit driver on eighteen? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never actually been out to that. downwind. I would think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think know. So, he might run out of room on the left. Yeah, I've never actually been to that tournament. So I, I don't know. I mean, I know it from TV, but. All right, Chris, I've taken enough of your time. You're very generous to me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate having uh, me on. Congratulations, man, on all your stuff. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, 
control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest gold-rated elixir and low-compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 